Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I'm also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Off the Couch is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. In 2019, Grayson Murphy won the U.S. Mountain Running Championship, the World Mountain Running Championship, and the Xterra Trail Run World Championship. But there were many twists and turns along the way in getting there, and first and foremost, Grayson's story is really about her constant push to evolve. Grayson is 24 years old and has already racked up some seriously impressive results. But perhaps even more impressive and certainly more instructive is her willingness to experiment, adjust, and explore new ideas and practices. And we discuss all of this and more in this really great conversation. And so with that, let's go ahead and get right to my conversation with Grayson Murphy. Well, Grayson, I'm interested in learning more about this interesting trajectory of yours. So to figure out, you know, and get the proper background on where you are today with respect to your running, we should probably start at the beginning. So you grew up in Salt Lake. You don't sound like you were doing a lot of skiing, despite the fact that, you know, you live in Salt Lake. Is that true? I don't know. I wasn't the biggest skier, but I did ski. You did ski. But I don't like being cold, so (laughs) I I, I was not cut out for sitting on the lift. (laughs) So if you weren't a big skier, what were what were the activities you were most interested in and into as a kid? Um, Soccer. That's what I was doing. And played basketball for a brief couple years. Me and my twin sister. I feel like we tried every sport at some point or another. And then our family was really active. So anything outside, like mountain biking or hiking, um, no one ran though. So that was kind of new. I'm the only runner really in my family. People are, they're getting into it though. My family is trying to get into it. <laughs> they're, you're dragging, um, you're dragging them along. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I'm for, or forcing them, <laughs> whether they like it or not. We're doing it. <laughs> So talk to me about soccer. So you tried a bunch of stuff. The other sports didn't really stick, but soccer did. Is that fair? Yeah, I guess it wasn't that they didn't stick. Um, we, my twin and I, we played all the sports together, but we were both so competitive with each other and with everyone else. My parents made us pick a sport at when we got to middle school because we were just killing each other, being so competitive about it. Uh, we had to pick a different sport. So she chose basketball, so I took soccer. Wait a so second. So it's kind of a forced decision. I've never <laughs> heard some, like, the parents, your parents literally said you both cannot play the same thing. So I'm just trying to envision the evening when this conversation took place. Like, was this a negotiation or was there like an arm wrestling match to see who got to choose <laughs> first? Like, how did that go down? Yeah, I'm sure there was some sort of fight that happened. Um, it felt kind of natural, I guess, that we both were like, fine, I take this. She's like, fine, I take this. And we're like, fine, okay. And then we both ended up playing college sports in those respective choices. So it was the right choice, I guess, for both of us. Okay, sorry, I just have <laughs> follow-up questions. Um, so before this evening of the choosing of the sports, were you already, did you already like like soccer more than basketball? Um, well, so I had not played basketball, I think that year because I broke my foot. Uh-huh. And so I was the team manager. So I was already one season out of playing. So I think they were like, well, you didn't play this year. So just do soccer then kind of thing. Okay, but you are out with an injury, but were you like, man, I love basketball. This sucks. No, 
Okay. I, I was so happy go lucky kind of with sports that way. It was like, oh, just play soccer. Do the other one. Okay. Was, yeah. Like we liked all the sports. So it wasn't like a sacrifice. <laughs> and what grade was this? <laughs> I think we were in seventh or eighth grade. Okay. Interesting. I love this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you go on to play soccer where? Sweetbriar College in Virginia. Sweetbriar College in Virginia. And your sister goes on to play basketball where? At Utah State University Eastern for two years and then Missouri Valley. Okay. This is, that's actually pretty impressive, right? I mean, because so. <laughs> you guys are twins. And so technically, right, it's fair to say you're twins. So you guys could have just swapped. And then you, meaning you maybe somehow get credit. Like, yeah, I could have also played college basketball. Not a big deal. Then we'd have to say that your sister could have said the same about soccer. But um, is that how it works with twins? Oh, I would not say that. <laughs> okay. okay. So when did this transition happen? Or maybe, I don't know if it's fair to call it a transition, but like, let's talk about soccer to running. Okay. Um... So it happened, I played a year of soccer at Sweetbriar, and after that season wrapped up, I was pretty unhappy with the school and the team, and I just was not having fun with soccer anymore, so I quit. And then um, that was the end of soccer. (laughs) And then I guess I wanted, I was transferring, so the school that I decided to transfer to, I just emailed the track coach there and asked if I could walk on and have a tryout. and he said yes. So that seems like a pretty big leap. I understand the part about maybe either getting burned out on soccer or I don't know if it was a disagreement with the coach or just kind of the, I don't know, soccer and and school at the same time or whatever. But there's a leap there between deciding you don't want to keep playing soccer and then actively saying, like, I'd like to run track. Yeah, I guess my motivating factor was I knew I was going to this new school and I didn't know anyone. And I thought, well, that would be an easy way to have a whole bunch of friends all at once. And I have never not been on a team in my whole life. And I'm not ready to give that part of sports up yet. So I was looking through the list of sports at the school. Like, which one can I walk on to with zero experience? And I landed on track and apparently also cross country I didn't know it was the same team back then um so that's why I asked if I could walk on okay so back to soccer what position did you play I was mostly all the attacking positions it kind of depended on the team I was on but midfield and forward depending on who else is there okay Um, but it sounds like you had to have it, I mean, at least a knack. Well, I guess you didn't realize you were signing up for cross country at the time, but no, (laughs) you know, so did, I mean, did you think of yourself as more of a, of more of a fast twitch sprinter type of athlete? Or did you already think like, I've actually, I'm pretty good at the, the long distance stuff. Or did you just just say, I have no idea. I'm just trying to make friends, man. Kind of the try to make friends, and, and also I thought I would be more of a middle distance runner. I knew I wasn't a sprinter. I wasn't going to run a 100 or a 200. But I thought like the fourth, eight maybe would be where I would get put. Because up until that point, I don't think I had run more than three miles at one time in my whole life. I like this. Until walking onto the track team. So I had no idea how I would even perform at a longer distance but didn't care because this was your social strategy. Yeah, this was my way to make friends. (laughs) I love this. I love this. Okay, what what year is this then? So you transfer schools. This was 2014. 2014, okay. Mm -hmm. So um, you, um, help me out here. Would you have been, you signed up and then they're like, cool, you also just signed up for cross country. That. Yeah. So you're now competing in cross country before before track and field proper. Is that do I have the order yes. of things correct? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh my god, cross country. I've 
never run more than three miles. I'm now supposed to run farther than that. Uh-huh. And so you're like, I guess that's just what I'm doing because this is my this is my social strategy. Yeah, I just was like, well, I guess that'll be fun. We'll figure it out. It's probably gonna hurt, but whatever. It's a new. It sounded like an adventure, so I was just ready to figure it out. And how did this first season go in cross country? It actually went really well. Um, I did the first run with the team with one of the fastest girls on the team but I only made it eight miles and then I stopped and I think they were going like 10 and I told the coach I'm done. Like that's the longest I've ever run in my life and I'm done. I'm not like on my knees, but I think that's good for today. (laughs) Um, And then I slowly, I worked my way up from the lowest or slowest like workout group to the fastest by like the middle of the season. And then I was the first on the team that season for the races by the end of your first season. Uh huh. This is fantastic. I can't, I'm going to make a movie about your life. So I'm just taking notes. here. Oh, so we've got yeah, year one from, from last to first. This is good. That'll be a good segment of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then what happens in track season that year? Um, so then track we moved into and, Initially, before cross country, they had thought, oh, we'll put you in the 400 and 800. But after I did so well in cross country, they kind of saw that endurance base was there. So they thought, like, we're not quite ready for 5K probably, but we can put you in a 3K. And that's where I got put in the steeplechase because it seemed like about the right distance for me on the track. And then they figured with the soccer background, it would probably translate pretty well with the coordination and I did I think I, I broke 11 minutes in the steeplechase and then I can't remember I ran a 1500 I think probably two that was like 430 something so they weren't bad I think they were like for my first track season like I was I was happy with them I think the coaches are pretty happy and shocked <laughs> that it went well <laughs> So as somebody who has never run a steeplechase, I want you to talk to me about this. I, you know, I did play soccer growing up. Um, I have run, you know, I've run on the trail. I've run on the track. I've never done a steeplechase. So what, what is somebody completely ignorant about the steeplechase? I mean, aside from knowing like you're hopping over obstacles, that type of thing. Talk to me about how, how, very different or not that different this particular race is help me out here okay so with the steeplechase um it's seven and a half laps so it's 3k which is 1.8 miles um and you're looking at 35 land barriers so there's five each lap and you skip the first lap um and then one water pit per lap and the land barriers for women are 30 inches high. So for me, that's about my hip height, <laughs> just a little lower. <laughs> and then the water pit is, I think it kind of depends how deep it can be, but it can, if you stand in the very, like it's a slant, the whole thing is kind of like a reverse ramp. So the deepest part of it is probably two and a half feet deep. And then moving out the whole length of it, I think is generally 10 feet long. Um, so you're trying to clear the water and you step on, you can step on all the barriers, but generally you heard all the land ones and then you step on the water one to jump over it. And I think it is, it's like a track race. It hurts, they all hurt and it's fast. Uh, it's scary because you're running so fast at such a big stationary object because it's not a normal hurdle. It's like a four by six plank wood (laughs) that is just standing there in your way. Um, And it hurts in a different way. It's a lot more muscular, I think. So it kind of gets you in a weird, not quite lactic, but more than just a pure endurance race. Yeah, it's like a mean trick, it kind of feels like, right? You don't get to just (laughs) settle into like... No. <laughs> this pace and stride it's like cool 
do this kind of longer distance thing, but then also be dynamic in these weird moments. It's uh-huh. like, that's not, you should, that's a mean thing to do to somebody. Right. <laughs> and it's hard being, so I'm five, three and you're in a pack of girls until I got good enough where I was at the front of the pack. Um, you don't get your own lane. Like in the other hurdle races, everyone's in the same two lanes. There's like 15 girls. So a lot of times at the beginning, when I start, I couldn't see the barrier coming. I could only see like the heads in front of me start to go up. Oh man. And so you just have to kind of time it and hope that you don't jump into the person in front of you and don't run into the barrier. So it's an added element of surprise that makes it (laughs) pretty fun. (laughs) So this is kind of the incentive to be fast at steeplechase. If you run faster than other people, you get to see the huge barrier that that you're yes. going to eventually come upon. Yeah, big advantage. You want to be fast. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, this makes good sense. So, you competed in steeplechase for how long? Uh, all four years of college. All four years, and mm-hmm. let me see if my if I have this correct. Um, I think I saw something about you're a five-time Division One NCAA All-American. I'm guessing this has something to do with steeplechase? Yeah, um, two of those are steeplechase. What years were those? 2017 and 2018. Your last two years? Yeah. So that accounts for two of the five-time Division One NCAA All-American mm-hmm. uh, awards. Tell me about the other three. So two are in indoor track in the 5K, and one is from cross country. This is quite a good bit of versatility you're showing here. I like to think so. Right? (laughs) Right? Um, I think so, yeah. (laughs) What did you end up preferring of these, you know, the cross country events the 5K event steeplechase. Did you have, or did you have a clear order of these things? Could you rank them? Oh, I think it changed probably depending on the day and year <laughs> that you ask me. But actually, by the end, I think of my collegiate career, I would have told you cross country and the 10K were my favorite events. Why? Um, cross country because I like being outside and I perform better when I can see ahead of me and a destination kind of, instead of kind of visualizing laps, if that makes sense. I think it's just a way of compartmentalizing the race. I can do it better over a course as opposed to a track. And then the 10K, because I felt like that's where I had the most room to improve and had the most improvement and was the most excited about finishing my collegiate career with what I did. So then you graduate as a five-time Division One NCAA All-American, but you graduate, then what? Um, so then I knew I wanted to continue running professionally. And so I, uh, before I graduated, we kind of set up the base work for that. And I competed one more time for the University of Utah, actually at USA's in 2018 in the steeplechase. And then I signed a pro contract. So that was with NAZ Elite, and they're a great group. I was really excited to train with them. We've been talking to several coaches and agents and different training situations, and I decided on them because their bread and butter is long strength-based endurance work, which is what I felt like I enjoyed the most and wanted to do the most. Um, So I went with them and... I spent a year in Flagstaff with that team training under Coach Ben and with all the wonderful NAZ ladies. And it was a really fun time, but ultimately decided it just wasn't quite the right fit. And it, I think it took a whole more another year. So that point was only my fifth year running. So I think in terms of training age, I was still such a baby. I didn't know all these things that I think a lot of mature runners know about themselves, like what they like and what they don't like and what works for them. So I think by the end of that year, I had gathered enough knowledge to know that that wasn't, in fact, what I wanted or needed. If you don't mind, unpack that for me a second. The strength and endurance-based training, are we talking about 
uh, an emphasis saying on using weight training and resistance training for long distance performance? Um, no, I guess it's probably a misconceived name. Um, so I guess in terms of what I mean by strength is, and my college coach calls it this too. So I don't think that it's unique to just the Flagstaff group, but meaning that it's a lot of like long tempos and pretty high mileage. And you're really just training for a long aerobic strength. So there's not a ton of speed work. Um, and it's like you do hills well and you're strong in that sense. You're not always running on flat roads. Everything's pretty hilly and rolling. So I think that's what I mean by strength. Um, and I perform well and like that and I still do. So that was what drew me to that group. But you start maybe thinking there's other ways to train. I might want to just explore some of those other methods and options or were you like I actually already think I know a style or mode of training that I might be better suited for no there wasn't like a oh I want to be doing this instead of this I just knew that what I was doing mostly was just too much of everything so that's just tone it down like it didn't need to be that big of a jump and there's a reason I was getting hurt and I knew that's why um so that was the main thing I wanted to fix was just bring it all back to an achievable level, a sustainable level. So part of me has to think that maybe this decision to move away from NAZ Elite was not exactly the easiest decision in the world. Like, here you are, you're this collegiate All-American, you just make it on and are a part of this kind of rock star running team. And less than a year in, you're like, you know, I'm not sure this is for me or this is the best thing for me. And you move back to Utah. So is that, do I have this right? That maybe that was not the easiest decision in the world? Oh yeah. That's one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make was that. And there's so many people telling you so many different things. Um, and it does, it did, I think, look like a perfect situation because um, I was getting faster. I PR'd in every, well, I only ran one event in the track, but I PR'd almost a minute on the track um, from college to NAZ Elite. And I made my first USA team. And so from an outside, I think it was looking good and it took some soul searching to figure out like why am I feeling so bad even though everything is seemingly so perfect um and I realized that that's uh when perfection can look different to different people so what may be is someone else's dream isn't mine and I think the hardest part of that realization was coming to terms with that that was okay it's okay to not have the same dream as everyone else it doesn't have to look the same and there are different things that kind of set your soul on fire and that's different than my twin sister even so it's okay to realize that and kind of chase after that even if it's unconventional that's some real mature and grown-up perspective type of stuff to have I mean, I think I'm I'm still guilty of this I think all the time where it's just very easy and lazy and kind of uncharitable to kind of look at somebody else's life, not really understand what's happening, you know, on the inside, and then just be like, man, that just, this person, it's it's all coming up aces all the, all the time, all day long. And it's like, man, be real careful before you start sort of imposing that onto other people when, when, when we probably don't really possess a whole lot of the important details or some of the things happening on the interior in terms of an interior life or that kind of thing. It's a, it seems like important to say that out loud and remind us, remind everybody of that fact. And it's like, be nice if that just became more, maybe we didn't need to have those constant reminders and we just operated on like, I'm sure, I'm sure Grayson has great reasons for this and I'm just going to support that. 
Yeah, I think that it gets overlooked. I think the glaring example was I PR'd the tank guy my 50 seconds, and Ben was ecstatic. And I got off that track that night, like almost in tears, because I realized midway through the race, I was so unhappy and I didn't want to be there. And even though I was running faster than I've ever run in my life, I didn't care because it's not what I wanted. It's not where I wanted to be with the people I wanted to be with. And I think that was like a behind the scenes moment that not a lot of people saw or were privy to, but is really um, important and integral in my decision-making was that moment. And so from there, it starts to become a little bit more or a whole lot more about trails for you. Yeah, I, my intention was to be, um, I, I'm not a huge track fan, so, but I do love the road. And so moving forward, what I envisioned and still envision is I'll be 50-50. So half on the trail and half on the road. And I mostly wanted to get on the trail last summer just as kind of a relief and to mix it up and get out of the negative headspace I'd been in for the last year. Um, so moving back to Utah, I figured, oh, this is perfect. I'll be in Utah where all the trails are. I'll just hop into a trail race there. And maybe I hate it or maybe I love it. I don't know. But it sounds like a fun adventure, fun thing to try. So I did that, ended up loving it. And I'm moving forward. Um, so I'll be even this year, be on the road until about June and then switch over to the trail. Nice little bit of versatility once again. Yeah. Hope to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have this right. Your first trail race, this was, was this the Cirque series at Brighton? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. First ever. Um <laughs> do you happen to know Julian Carr? He's he's a bit of a yeah. friend of mine. And I was just curious. I was curious if you were like, I you know, did Julian coax you into this or did you know Julian prior to the race? Oh no, I just knew that the races existed and they're close to where I live, so I figured it would be a fun, low key race to try out for my first time and there's prize money so I thought that could be fun to go <laughs> after so yeah it was just more of like oh it's convenient and fun I'll give it a go huh well how did it go so I got second which I was really happy and kind of surprised with um and at that time I didn't know who I got second to but uh, to Anna Mae Flynn <laughs> who is an amazing trail runner in her own right and but I didn't know at the time that that's, I didn't know trail runners, so I just knew I got second, which was exciting. Yeah. That's a pretty <laughs> solid second for your first trail race, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Actually, so Morgan Aratola was first. Anime Flynn was third. So I actually beat Anime. Oh, my God. And so I didn't know who either of those two were, but found out later that they were really good. And then I thought, oh, maybe I could be good at this, too. Uh, that's pretty good. By which I mean, that's like kind of amazing. But um. <laughs> Did you enjoy the process or was it mostly like, it wasn't so much about enjoyment. It was like, this is my first time. I'm just trying to, you know, not run off course or, you know what I mean? I think I did. I did enjoy it because it was really cool and novel to me to be racing on a mountain and with views. Cause that was something I'd never experienced before. Um, and then also there was lots of snow. It was the steepest anything I've ever considered running. I didn't, and I learned that hiking was a thing as well and scrambling. So it was a huge learning curve in the middle of the race. Like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to walk and I'm supposed to climb these rocks and slide down this snow. So it felt like just one huge obstacle course the whole hour and a half that we were racing. And I finished feeling exhausted, but like it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Would you say that it was harder than you thought it was going to be? Definitely. <laughs> so much harder. I just didn't realize I had never done that type of uphill ever, um, much less out of, not even hiking. Like, I don't think I had done that in a hike, much less in a race trying to go fast up something so steep. And every part of my body hurt. My arms are hurting from pulling on the rocks and sliding on the snow. And that was just so foreign to me where in a road race, it's pretty predictable. 
So let's talk a little bit about this 50-50-ish kind of split of yours. I mean, there's often a lot of talk about like the differences between, I think, kind of the road racing culture and trail running culture. Do you kind of agree that these are pretty distinct communities? Talk to, talk to me about what you've seen in your time and how you, you would sum them up. Uh, in the road racing world, I think everything is more serious and intense and people are there to race and to make money and it's their job and they're there to have fun. And if that's like the side effect, then that's awesome. But I don't think that that's most people's main objective. Um, and I think too, there's a weird, maybe with women, I can't speak to the men. I think men <laughs> operate a little differently sometimes when it comes to sports psych, but women in the running or road running world, at least they're so competitive with each other that it feels like you can't be friends almost, um, especially on a start line or in the hours leading up to the race on the bus to the start line in the tent. Um, and then compare that to trail. Um, everyone's really cool. Like some people slept in their van the night before and everyone was just ready to have a good time. And the main objective is fun. And then secondly, if you can make a living off of it or run a good race, that's kind of, that's the afterthought or that's like the happy accident part of it. Um, so that's kind of a flip-flop. And I enjoy the trail people for their laid-back approach. So this is another sort of debate happening, right? Like how long that laid-back back approach is going to maybe remain in the trail running scene perhaps as more roadies start coming into trail do you have thoughts on that are you willing to make a kind of prediction like if you have to bet a thousand dollars and we're looking at these kind of communities road versus trail let's say I don't know what I, we can either go five years out from now or 10 years out from now. Are we going to see that trail just got a whole lot more serious and looks actually now a lot more like how you just described the road community? Or do we think that that trail say style of doing things will seep into and have more of an influence on the roadside? Ooh. That's a good question. I know, and you got a thousand bucks on the line, so you but you think hard. <laughs> oh, a thousand dollars. Um, I think mm, what I would like to see, and so I'll put my money on it because I hope this is what happens, is the trail scene seeps into the road culture and not the other way around, because I do see the road culture culture being pretty toxic, and I. I don't want that to ruin um, the trail scene. The caveat being, though, I think the fastest athlete you can be is the happiest athlete. And I think there are certain types of people that thrive in a nature environment and then certain types that thrive on maybe a road. And if you're not happy and like truly genuinely thriving in nature, you're not going to be as fast. And I think that hopefully will weed out a lot of that extra stuff kind of on its own, all that toxic people. You should be there because you want to be there and because you enjoy it and you respect nature, not because you're trying to beat other people or win a bunch of money. I think those are great points. I also sensed in you, though, you your answer was like, well, this is what I hope is going to happen, yeah. which is to say that I suspect you're thinking, well, if I actually had to make a prediction, I'm worried we're going to see more of the quote unquote, to use, a, I think, a, a nice term here, see more of that toxicity come into trail, which is something you very much do not want to see happen. And if I'm correct here, I'm putting some words into your mouth or making some assumptions, but... I think the only thing about saying, like, if we're all recognizing that that is a distinct possibility, then at least maybe that that it's important maybe to be talking about that, right? Or be more vigilant about that. I think these things can, as a as a community, 
if we're kind of cognizant, then maybe we can have a bit of a discouraging effect on some of the negative aspects, right? And to just say, this is not really how we want this to be, and let's keep... And in fact, the very last, the last episode of Off the Couch we did, Sanjay Rawal was just so articulate about some of this stuff. And I, I mostly just think in life, like we all just need to be more like Sanjay at every moment, and that would make <laughs> the world a better place. But um, I think that if the things that he's articulating, and I hear you saying, I hope, I hope we keep this really rich thing that is present currently in the trail scene. We want to hang on to that, protect that, grow that. Maybe the more people like you, like Sanjay, communicating that, maybe we can help make sure that that remains and grows. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of my personal goals because I'm also very much still 50% in the road scene. So it's, I think... I feel like it's my responsibility to kind of bring that positivity to the road and make it known that the toxic part is not welcome in the trail community and just kind of convey that message and lead by example and hope that that kind of inspires others to do the same. So I love this. You're doing such a great job of talking about this narrative of yours and highlighting the fact that it's like, you're like, I'm kind of still in work in progress. Things are still evolving, right? And so if you, I guess I have another prediction, question slash prediction for you. Five years from now, do you suspect that you will still have this kind of 50-50 relationship road and trail? Or if you have to bet, you know, another thousand dollars, you got a lot of money on the line here. <laughs> Where's this money coming from? (laughs) I don't know. You know, um, (laughs) do you suspect that you, in five years, that maybe looks a bit more like a seventy-five twenty-five split, a bit more emphasis on trail thoughts? Um, right now, no. I, because I do enjoy road stuff so much, and I, one of my big career goals is to run. A marathon and I think I can be really competitive in that event and that will take several years I think to get good at um to where I want to be with it so five years now I think I'll still be pretty 50 50 but that really is kind of the the idea it's like I'm curious to see how good and competitive I can be in a road marathon Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I tend to follow my heart. So if <laughs> something changes in the next two years and I'm all road or all trail, then that's how it would be too. So not putting myself in too much of a box. I think that's the thing I've learned pretty clearly about you. Don't don't put you in a box. That would be a dumb no. thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Okay. I'll break right out of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um Switching gears a bit here, I, I want to ask you about something that you wrote about generalized anxiety disorder. Talk to me a bit about that, why you felt compelled to write that piece. Um, yeah, so I have generalized anxiety disorder and I take medication for it and I see a therapist for it and it's just part of my life that's been there for quite some time now since high school. Um, so I've been dealing with this for almost, I would say probably a decade now. I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, the the, um, the old, ripe old age of 24. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been just kind of a constant in my life. And I keep seeing a lot of people when I'll post little snippets here and there about it. Um, a lot of response to even just a small snippet of it. And so I felt like with such a platform that I have, um, on Instagram and social media on my website, it's kind of my job to take it upon myself, I feel like, to get the conversation going. And if a person like me, who a lot of people know, um, can talk about it openly, maybe it will encourage other people to open up even with their family about it or realize that they can seek help about this too. And it, it shouldn't be a problem that hinders you 
in day-to-day life and then you shouldn't feel broken even though some days I feel broken too but I think it's okay to at least talk about it so that's kind of where that came from was I hope in my being vulnerable I can help other people heal too yeah that's a big deal and important and I'm curious to ask I mean these days what are you finding to be if anything, particularly valuable methods for coping with this? Or is it more about like, look, there will be these moments or episodes. I just have to weather those. I think a bit of both. I don't think I'll ever completely get rid of it. I think it's going to be my friend for better or worse for the rest of my life. Um, But I also... I take medication and I found that that is really helpful for me. And I've been, it's been a process of like figuring out what works and what doesn't, how much of everything. So that's been a journey, whole separate journey. Um, But then I found too, my surroundings or my situation really are impactful in that. So creating an environment where I feel comfortable and thrive and in a place I want to be in with the people I want to be with on a day-to-day basis and having my needs met and fulfilled, that has been huge in helping me cope with episodes that might come up. And it just lowers the overall daily leveling of anxiety. That's pretty good. I hope you just keep feeling better attuned to this stuff, better able to address it that's a big deal. And and as you've already said, there's a lot of folks dealing, I think, with something, a lot of folks dealing with a lot of things and a <laughs> lot of folks dealing with the, sort of this um, similar thing. Mm-hmm. I think so. That was part of my reason to move from Blackstaff as well, was I knew that that situation outside of training was causing a huge level of anxiety that was just unnecessary because I was just uncomfortable in this situation. And so it was leading to panic attacks. And I knew like what was important to me and my needs weren't being met and I needed to change it. So as much as leaving felt shitty and as much as moving is hard to a new state and all this stuff, it's worth it because now I'm in a happy and productive place in my life. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the details of this current life of yours. You are working with a different coach now, Cameron Ulmer. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Talk to me about working with Cameron. Yeah, so I, um, he's great. He is the head coach of the Idaho Distance Project and also the newly minted fiance or husband of Emma Bates. Um, So maybe more well-known is Emma. And I connected with Emma last spring at the Cherry Blossom 10-miler. I reached out to her because I had read her story about her first couple years in Boston. And I was feeling kind of the same way at that point as what she described in her article. So I reached out and I kind of told her how I was feeling in Flagstaff and with the NAZ Elite. And she was like, we talked for hours and before the race and she was like, you know, you just need to do it because that's the one thing I regret is not doing something sooner because I think I really did know pretty early on what I wanted. Um, So I decided to act and then I kind of got connected to Cameron through her because she knew that I was leaving Flagstaff and was going to be looking for a new coach. And I liked his training philosophy. It's close to my college coach, which is a lot of threshold focused work, which for people, if you don't know, it's um, kind of, it's the level at which your body can clear lactate out of the bloodstream without accumulating. So it translates to about the pace you can run for an hour or so. Um, So kind of low level uh, aerobic enhancement, but over time really improves fitness, which is kind of the same idea as my college coach where nothing is so hard no workout is so hard you think you can't do it nothing should be an all-out and nothing should feel like a race effort you save that for the race um which I think is what I was missing with NAZ Elite was there are a lot of all-out things kind of race effort go to the well in practice and I 
I don't think that's sustainable for me, at least in a training situation. So with Cameron, I was like, okay, he understands me. Um, he understands my life. He his training philosophy is good. And one of their mottos too for Idaho Distance Project is work hard, play harder. And I liked that because it, it just showed like, we're not just running. Yeah, it might be our job, um, but I'm more than just a runner. I'm a human too. And I can do other stuff. So he was supportive of like cross training and mountain running and all sorts of things. So that was pretty cool. Talk to me about the play harder part though. Like what, <laughs> like, what does that actually look like? Like you guys are constantly at amusement parks or? <laughs> well, I hope not. I hate amusement parks. <laughs> that might, <laughs> might be slightly anxiety inducing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, fair I enough. I think for me, it means like enjoy life more live fuller live harder and for me that means go on crazy epic adventure runs even if it doesn't fit the exact training that you were supposed to have that day or try new things um be open to travel and travel when you can when you're young and when you're not stuck somewhere and try new sports he's open like i do nordic skiing in the winter time my boyfriend is on the ski team at the university of utah so i have like skiers to ski with, which is really fun and a new sport that I've gotten to learn the last couple of years. And it's fun to have that as an okay thing to be doing in the winter where previously anything outside of running was looked down upon because you don't want to get hurt, God forbid. Um, you do any other sport besides running, even though I grew up doing every other sport but running. <laughs> so I'm like, you guys, <laughs> I have more experience skiing than I do running at this point. So, yeah, I think that's, to me, what the play harder means, is live harder. Well, I think that all sounds nice, but if if only there was any maybe title to kind of validate that it was actually working. Oh, wait, U.S. Mountain Running Champion. <laughs> that's a great title, you know? like I would argue that the world champion title would override <laughs> The U.S. one. <laughs> oh, there's that one. Why don't we talk about... Have, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about these things. Okay. Well, the U.S. Mountain Running Champion, um, that was my third or fourth trail race ever. So you were just a seasoned veteran at that it's point. my fourth. I mean, yeah. Third so or, I yeah. totally knew. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> um, so that was unexpected. I went into the race... I knew, so top four would go to the world championships in Argentina. So that was my goal was just be top four because I really wanted to be on that trip um, and represent Team USA. So I just went into it and put my head down and went to work. And so I won that race by four minutes, which was also pretty surprising because up until then I had won two Cirque series or a Cirque series race and then got second at two other races. Um, so that was surprising. And then more surprising was winning in Argentina because that was my first time racing internationally on a trail um, and only second time racing internationally ever. So I had no idea, like, what are these European women up to? I've heard crazy stories about them. Um, so I am... Yeah, that was a crazy race. I did not expect that. Even to the very end, I still was like, is this happening? What is going on? Because that was not my intent. I know I didn't go into that race thinking, I'm going to win this thing no matter what. It just kind of, both races, I feel like I went into it telling myself, well, just try your best and that will be good enough. And I came out being like, wait a minute, where is everyone? Why am I in front? Did I miss a turn? Like, what am I doing? I love that. You didn't really <laughs> think, did I miss a turn? Oh, I totally did. Especially at world champs. Cause I hadn't seen anyone. No, no one passed me the whole race, the whole 14 K. This is, at and thanks, world to, thanks to steeplechase, right? You've learned <laughs> yeah. you just, it's instinct. I've got to run right. fast or I'm going to smash into a big wall. Yeah. Right. I have to be in front. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, Joe Gray um, steeples as well. So I think there's something to the steeplechase. That's right. We've unpacked a new element here. Say a bit more about worlds. The morning of, I'd been really sick. And the night before, I think I had some kind of weird food or water that just didn't sit well. 
Um, so I had no food in my body and I was like, well, whatever, like, it's just cool to be here. And I guess if I can't even finish, I remember texting my boyfriend the morning of and telling him, he was like, well, do you think you can start? And I said, I'll get on the line, but I don't know if I can finish. And so that was, that's why it was so unexpected. I think because I was the whole time. Like, why do I feel so good? I have not been eating or drinking. I can't keep anything down. And I just totally unexpected. So, I mean, what do you think in hindsight? Was this adrenaline? Was this testament that, like, you didn't come in having, like, overtrained dumb luck? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, dumb luck. No, I think that I was excited to be there. Um, but it honestly it felt like less of an effort than U.S. Mountain Champs did. I feel like I pushed myself less at World Champs, which is why I think I was surprised that I was still in front um, because I felt like I had let up and was, like, satisfied. Because once I was in front for over half the race, I was like, okay, if I get top 10, when I get rolled on the downhill, at least get top 10, I think, and that will be pretty cool to be top 10 in the world. So it was weird, I think, one of those just weird races. You don't really know what's going on or how it happens. And when was this race? This was November 15th, middle of November. Not so long ago. About two months ago, yeah. I also love this idea circling back on your idea of like people on the outside looking in at a quote-unquote perfect life. I, I also find it interesting to be like, and here she is, Grayson is coming in to win worlds. And you're like, I'm sure I took a wrong turn. Uh -huh. Yeah, I was like, for sure I cheated or something. Yeah. I don't know how I ended up in first. And then some people were like, you must have pushed yourself so hard. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have run harder. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It just, I think it's kind of one of those, like, I read this great quote the other day. I put it in my planner that I make. There's a plug. I found it. Okay. Because when the heart is true, the universe will conspire to support you by ritual. And I think that's true. It's just you believe something and you believe in yourself so much. It, you manifest that energy and then it becomes true because you're doing the right thing. It's a testament that you're on the right path, I think. So that's kind of what worlds felt like to me. <laughs> You mentioned this planner. Tell me about the planner. Yeah, so I made these planners last year. It was the first year I did them. It was born out of one that I made for just myself. And I had a lot of people asking where I bought it. And I said, well, I made this. Um, so that kind of spurred the idea of why well, I could make these for other people too. And there are training logs and planners and ideas that there's balance in them like there should be in life too. So there's a spot for everyday appointments and just things to do. And then there's a spot for your training because I'm not just a runner. Like I do other stuff outside of running, and I, but I want all that information in one convenient, tidy little place. Um, and then there's also inspirational quotes because I love quotes and habit trackers because I think that's a great way to hold yourself accountable. And there's something really visceral about writing on pen and paper. I think that forces you to reflect on training and life in a way that you don't get if you're just sinking your watch to Strava. Um, it forces you to think about like what the training really meant and felt like or what you were really feeling that day with your mood or anxiety or whatever ails you. So I wanted to share that because I found that was a helpful tool for my life. And so this year's the second year and it's been a big success and I've sold out twice. Oh, good So for you. it's been really fun. Thank you. Yeah. If people are interested in checking out and maybe getting one of these planners, where should they go? Normally I'd say on my website, but I just sold out the last run or batch of them. So if you want one, look around October of this year for 2021. You can get one. That's a long time, Grayson. You're making I know. A, <laughs> Sorry. Give the, give the people what they want. Okay, October. <laughs> <I'm busy. laughs> you, um, you're on your own, people. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're on your own, 
with your life planning till October, but then yeah. Grayson's there for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you said you are more than just a runner. Talk to me about these non-running interests of yours or pursuits of yours. Oh, yeah. Um, I work part-time as an engineer, and that's kind of a side hobby of mine. A side I hobby? I studied engineering. That's yeah. the first <laughs> time I've ever heard engineering called a side hobby, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Well, running is my first job, so the engineering is my hobby job. Your side hustle. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and the planners, those have been fun being kind of my own entrepreneur businesswoman. That's been a fun learning process. And I like doing all, all sports. So I tried snowshoeing this winter, snowshoe running, um, skiing, like I said before, rock climbing's fun. I really like camping, anything outdoorsy is kind of my thing. So yeah, lots of side, and I love reading books as well pretty good answer. Food is a big deal for every athlete, for all of us. And, um, you know, we've been talking about food and nutrition recently on Off the Couch. Talk to me a little bit about just you personally. Where are you at? What are you wondering about? What are you most curious about when it comes to food? I was curious because I've seen, there's been a lot of stuff in the media, especially that documentary Game Changers. Um, so I watched that and I read a bunch of books about plant-based eating. That's been something that's interested me for a while. And I wanted to see how feasible was it to be plant-based and then also getting having my needs met as an endurance athlete. Um, and then on top of that, I also have a gluten intolerance. So I wanted to see if it was possible for me to cut out like gluten and all animal products, or if that was just a disaster waiting to happen. So I was doing some research and as of right now, I'm trying to be vegan. I'm heading down that path. Um, I got some blood tests done. I want to make sure I do it right as well. So kind of trying to be careful about it. So I got some blood work done and we're going to go through that with my blood work person and just make sure that I'm in a good place to continue being vegan. Um, but yeah, I think from a performance standpoint, it's very intriguing to me. And as long as you do it the right way, I don't see any harm that could happen other than performance. Maybe you don't get any faster, but maybe you do. Um, so that was intriguing. And I think too, like meeting a lot of people firsthand, especially at Worlds that were on particularly the long distance team that were plant-based, that was really interesting and kind of noteworthy to me that they're all like, um, Jim Walmsley. I talked to him briefly about it, but he's plant-based and he won. And so I was like, huh, that says something, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Uh, but then also, I think maybe more motivating to me is the how I can contribute to living a more sustainable lifestyle and lowering my carbon footprint. That has been because on it, like, yeah, performing well is great, but saving the planet should be a higher priority for everyone. You can run a little slower and save the planet, I think, or you won't have a planet to even run on. So I think for me, that's been motivating, especially the fires in Australia have been very stressful for me. I feel so helpless. I can't, other than donating, which I would encourage everyone to do, you can't do anything from Utah. You can't do that much. So I thought, like, what are ways I can start really impacting this? Um, and I felt like diet, from what I've researched, is a great, easy place to start for most people. It's not like I'm going to give up my car altogether and just, like, only take the bus to the mountain trailheads. <laughs> um, but diet is a great, convenient place to start for most everyone. So I wanted to start there, too. So that's kind of my two motivations. This is fascinating, right? Because I think you're doing this exactly the right way. And I think not a whole lot of people, and I mean, you're a professional runner. So on the one mm -hmm. hand, it's like, yeah, you <laughs> should be, let's go get the blood work done and the like. But this is going to be just very interesting. And you've said really well here, look, there's, a, there's an ethical component to this uh, about 
a potential dietary direction. But then there's an important performance component to this. And it will be just very interesting to see if you're like those two aims turn out to go hand in hand perfectly. Or if you start seeing like, wow, turns out I actually feel better or I'm making more gains on a slightly different version of a diet that than where maybe my ethics would have me be living at. That's going to be a very interesting one to kind of keep tabs on with you, I think. Yeah. I'm interested myself to see where this goes. There's probably nobody more interested than you. Uh, oh, in yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, just on the blood work, was that blood work done after you'd already switched up the diet or prior to switching up? Um, so I've been vegan, quote unquote vegan, um, for, well, at least vegetarian for three weeks straight, but vegan for two and a half with one day of cheese. Because my other thing is I'm not going to starve to not eat it. So if that's the only thing available under the circumstance, I'll eat it because um, that's not worth it to me either. So I guess it's only been three weeks, really. So I don't know how much of the blood work. I think a lot of those levels change pretty slowly. Um, so I don't know how much of that plays into the current levels. I'll still verdict is out until I talk to the blood work guy. Yeah. And I, I, so I, I've actually been a vegetarian for like 20 years now, which is crazy to say out loud because it's, like, yeah. I, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago kind of in the, like, if there wasn't meat, it wasn't a meal type of thing. <laughs> and, um, it's funny, like, especially in the early years when I switched to just a vegetarian diet, like I always felt terrible if I'd go to somebody's house and they're like, oh, it's great to have you here, you know, join us for dinner. And then to have to do the like, you know, if they served, you know, some meat or something, it was like, oh, you know, this is excellent, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm actually a vegetarian. And then they would kind of get this horrific or scandalized look like, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And it's like, no, like you're definitely a better person than me. I don't, you know, I don't win some sort of ethics <laughs> battle just because of like, I don't eat a certain way. And, and I just didn't like that. I didn't like this perpetual feeling of like, especially in the face of hospitality. Right. And so I'm saying this just because you said you know, it's like, look, I'm not going to starve. Um, yeah. And so if, if I need to eat, I'm going to eat what's available. For a while, this would be my exception, right? Like I would not, if someone's welcoming me into their home, I would sort of eat what was so graciously had been prepared or whatever. I think we are getting, you know, fast forward 20 years later, there's never been a better time or I think more understanding around this issue. And by understanding, I mean just like a, a, an empathy or sympathy, let alone perhaps an actual appreciation of the issues at hand. And so I appreciate it when people are hardliners and are just like, look, I don't feel, I just don't want to deviate off of this program. I still have a soft spot though for those of us who say, I have certain exceptions to this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess I respect both. Um, the most important thing for me is not so much that everyone out there is in exactly the same place, right? Or at exactly the same practice at a given moment of time. I think the thing is all of us need to be thinking about these practices of ours. Yeah, I think so too. Before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about 2020. What's on the horizon? What are you curious about? What have you already committed to? Those types of things. Um, so for races, I guess, I'll be on the road mostly through June, like I said. And that schedule is a little up in the air right now just because I want to make sure I came off of a long season last year uh, feeling good and ready to start again. I don't want to push anything. I don't feel like I need to coming off of the three wins at the end. So um, trying to be careful with that and give myself the time I need. But looking at my main goal for the road is to run a fast half marathon. Um, that's one PR I've been kind of wanting for a little bit. So I want to go get that. And then after June, moving to the trails. And then 
exciting. I get to spend about a month in Europe this year racing and um, series in all will be one of my big goal races as well as hopefully world mountain champs later on in November. So those are two big ones I'm looking forward to this year. It sounds like you've got a really cool 2020 in front of you. I think so. I'm excited about it. Well, hey, this has been super fun. I love I love the 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 clear commitment to kind of learning and growing and it seems like you're doing that just on a bunch of different fronts and it's going <laughs> to be really fun to kind of follow along and and uh, see see where you go with all of these different things. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Grayson for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then we would encourage you to subscribe to Off the Couch, tell your friends about the show, and maybe even leave us a nice little rating in iTunes. Until next time, keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>